0: Good evening, folks. Welcome back to the latest installment of our fan-driven review series, The Fandalorian.
1: Boom. What's going on, Galaxy?
0: Not too much. We're diving into the latest episode of the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian, with all the Easter eggs and lore connections that you've come to know and love. Uh, unfortunately for us, Wes is off on vacation in some uncharted location, <laughs> but we shall carry on.
1: We will persevere.
0: Yeah, I'm your host, Andy, and I'm joined by Mr. Hank McLaughlin out in Halifax
1: what is going on what is lot. up excellent
0: oh uh opening thoughts on this episode
1: it's weird to have one third less beard <laughs> is that is that is that the formula Maybe. um man i i i wasn't like the rest of the uh, the fandom on the last one so i didn't think that we had to recover from much i really thought it was a really good world building episode and I also didn't have the problem with the end and the passage of the torch to Bo-Katan the way that it happened. Uh and in fact they literally there's dialogue about how this episode how it uh it it, it didn't really matter anyway like so mm. um she surrenders and never lost the the blade legitimately anyway so no. she's always been the ruler of Mandalore. That's Yeah. gets a little bit uh there's about 90 rules rulers of mandalore i think we went through the list amazing um action-packed cool like stuff we didn't expect um yeah like yeah cool a couple new action figures gonna spring (laughs) up out of this one (laughs) three solid ones for sure
0: (laughs) yeah i'm i'm on board with this this is a great episode uh it moved really quick for me though like it didn't, <laughs> yeah. didn't really slow down and let you breathe too often.
1: No, and it was one of the longer episodes the season, if not the longest—52 minutes, something like that. And yeah. The, um, yeah, it it clipped along. It like it had, you know, uh, really serious pacing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like the slowest part in it was still incredibly important too, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So,
0: uh, Wes actually did leave us a couple opening thoughts though, yeah, so uh, I'm gonna cue them up right now.
2: Wes. What's up, guys? It's Wes here for Fandom Power. And I just want to say I'm sorry that I couldn't be here with you guys this week to to go through the episode. But you guys are in great hands with Andy and Hank. And I just wanted to leave some of my thoughts and feelings about the episode before my wife and I take off on vacation. And I just want to say for my sort of opening thoughts, this is as near perfect an episode as I feel like we've had possibly even for the entire series. The pacing was great. The acting was great. The stakes have never felt higher. We had uh, some real character moments, including a character death. Or is it? I don't know. But I thought that this episode was great, and I can't wait to see what happens in the next one.
0: Not bad, not bad.
1: Or is it? (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh before we go too far though, is it that time again?
1: Oh, it, it could be.
0: Well, let's let him out.
1: Did they leave you the key?
0: They left me the key.
1: Oh. Bad Star Wars jokes. Oh.
0: What is a clone trooper's favorite band?
1: Wow. What is a clone trooper's favorite band? I got I can't get past Max Rebo. Let me know, man. What is it?
0: One Republic.
1: crazy seems like everybody
0: in star wars has a different favorite band
1: that's a a super dad joke i love it
0: (laughs) so without further ado i guess shall we jump in
1: let's do that
0: so this one is uh, titled chapter 23 the spies uh it originally aired wednesday april 12th 2023 has a listed runtime of 53 minutes, but actually comes in at only 46 minutes and 27 seconds without the titles and credits. Uh, this one is written and directed. Where am I at here? There it is. Uh, this one is directed by Rick Femiwa and mm-hmm. it is written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni. So and good. Uh, the synopsis reads Survivors come out of hiding. Love the credit art in uh, this week's episode, too, though. Oh,
1: yeah, man. The, uh, the, it's always killer. Um, yeah. The only Star Wars series that seems to have it. And it's like, I look forward to it every uh, every episode.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to see, like, where they started. And then once you see where they've ended and like this yeah, one, that uh, the kaiju, it didn't stray too far
1: from the look. No. And there's abandoned or... ideas. Yeah. Like the, there's a uh, anyway. Yeah, there's abandoned ideas embedded in there. Yep,
0: But uh, we open on a rainy evening on Coruscant, and uh, as we follow the skyline towards the ground, there is a ton of Orabesh lit up in bright neon. Uh, Some of it is gibberish, some of it's obscured by buildings and whatnot,
2: Mm -hmm. and
0: others, it's fully legible, and uh, one of them reads Cy Bennett Ionics. (laughs) So people have speculated maybe they meant to spell out cybernetics, but... It does not translate like that.
1: Could be illiterate shopkeepers.
0: Maybe. Uh, there's also one that reads food with an E. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bronwyn and bar.
1: Nice. Straightforward.
0: Yeah. Uh, we eventually fall into steps behind a shadowy figure making their way through the rain in uh, the soaked alleys and streets. And there's a very industrial style of music playing as we follow. Mm-hmm. It's It's catchy.
1: Yeah. It's kind of cool.
0: The figure turns down another alley, and there's a couple neat things here. Uh, the Orabesh across the street literally reads Alley.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, the blue neon letters in the alley our person is going into is actually written in Dishabesh. Oh, crazy. And we'll touch on that in a second, but we come to find out that it's elia Kane, And she ducks further down the alley, only to be met by a descending Imperial probe droid. Uh, it scans her, and she gives her TK2755 designation as a code. Accepting this, the droid raises up and activates its hollow projector.
1: This is kind of like a big risk, eh? Like
0: yeah, like right out in the open.
1: because the, we saw those little cop droids,
0: yeah, zipping around you know,
1: in a couple episodes ago, and so it's it's um it's still that same sort of authoritarian state. So yes, uh, you know <laughs> this this is a huge risk. You'd think there'd be security cameras everywhere, yeah, for sure everywhere i don't care
0: what level of course on your on. it's all got to be hardwired together
1: right like because you see well i mean i guess uh luthan's people do the same sort of thing here
0: yeah because he like goes goes up a level down a level back a level up an elevator yeah yeah yeah
1: Yeah, yeah. she just goes behind the alley bar (laughs) yeah but uh an image of moff gideon
0: springs forth that he calls for a report but she's got to make it quick because he's short on time And she relays that the pirates ran into trouble on Navarro, but Gideon notes that her previous report said the New Republic would not be sending help. And she confirms it wasn't the New Republic, but the Mandalorians. And when she tells Gideon just who was involved, he doesn't believe it, as they were previously opposing factions. Uh, Gideon tells her, continue with your mission, and he will deal with the Mandalorian friends. So it is entirely possible that Dr. Pershing is part or if not all of her mission based on a line that's coming up here
1: yeah and it's really interesting that he doesn't uh this is one of the the early supporting facts that perhaps one of the one of the other members besides the armor might be the uh, set of spies he's literally surprised that these two factions would be working together and it's not because in my opinion anyway it's not because that's typical of mandalorian factions but in my opinion i think it's because One of them is in his pocket and meant to fight the other one.
0: Yeah, yeah, because like they're not being driven together for any specific outside threat; they're -hmm. just going to reclaim their home.
1: Yeah, yes.
0: But with uh, with his report concluded, where am I doing here? I skipped one. Sorry. Uh, Circling back a moment, the font Dishabesh. It was created and made available by Oric Fonts in 2020. But the font itself originally made its debut in the 2018 Solo, a Star Wars story, nice. uh, with a poem inscribed across Enfys Nest's helmet.
1: Enfys Nest.
0: So, not all the characters are canon yet, but it's kind of nice to see it like popping up just here and there.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah. With its report concluded, uh, Moff Gideon makes his way down a multi-shielded hallway, and between each ray shield are a pair of troopers standing watch. It has the same feel as the energy field corridor from Phantom Menace. Mm -hmm. And uh, he strides through a room again, once he gets to the end, filled with cloning bats, just like we saw back on Navarro. I paused
1: that and I stared at it for a long time, but I couldn't get any... uh,
0: I I mucked with the contrast and the brightness and everything, (laughs) but I could not make out the details of the figures in there. But
1: it leads me to believe, so it's sort of like, as I'm watching this scene for the first time, I'm thinking uh, these are more droids because of the way they're like between the shields and two to a bay. And then I'm like, wait a minute, the cloning vats are in the next room. Are these clones? And we, we don't they, even see them wiggle in this scene, no. you know, and I'm already thinking are these robot clone? Like, you know, like, yeah. Cause I'm, like I'm, he's
0: based on what comes up, he's adding a biological component. Right.
1: And I'm like standing on the edge of my seat. Cause I'm, 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 you know, th- those leaked uh, art pieces that i talked about earlier in the season that they that looks like they were legit because here we have those um and that was my number one reason for saying like no there was no sort of uh inside job with his rescue it wasn't you know the armor or her people or yeah or you know i I knew that it was these things and that's cool to see that 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 wasn't a misdirect because what a cool design and they look awesome Mm -hmm.
0: Finally, after passing through uh, that chamber, he enters another large chamber where a holographic meeting is already in progress. And we come to find out that it's the Shadow Council. Uh, This is our first on-screen look at the Shadow Council, but uh, they made their first appearance back in Chuck Wendig's 2016 novel, Aftermath Life Debt. Hell yes. And back then, it would be Gallius Rax who would form the Shadow Council using Grand Admiral Ray Sloan but Sloan would eventually kill Rax, and he would give her a final order or a final wish to take his place. And she does. She grants his final request, and she takes up his position in bringing about the new empire.
1: Yeah. It's
0: going off to the Unknown Regions.
1: I really, as soon as they, because we have this big sort of hologram, and it's your setback. As soon as they said the name Shadow Council, I was like, oh my god. She's going to be there.
0: Yeah, I was checking um, for faces that kind of matched I, up to any uh, you know, of the like comic so books or whatnot. If,
1: if you guys out there haven't seen them, uh, or sorry, if you haven't read them, you got to check out Chuck Wendig's aftermath novels. Um, just key stuff to get into the feel of the galaxy right after uh, the Battle of Endor, and uh, just you know the really cool stuff, especially the uh, the Shadow Council things. Yeah.
0: Yeah, just from what i read of it it's fairly complex the way he goes about assembling the council and like you know pulling all the strings without anybody knowing he actually did it
1: like Hux is the one that takes the uh the remnants leads them out of the galaxy and so they can land wait and regroup at exagol yeah it's really cool
0: so uh, in our current uh, roster here not all members are named but on screen, here's what we know for sure. Uh, Moff Gideon is there, uh, Captain Gilad Pelion, Commandant Brendel Hux, and one identified, or one unidentified, I should say, Captain. Because hmm. they just call him Captain. Uh, the rest, for now, remain nameless, technically, on the show, but okay. uh, not for us in real life. Right. Uh, captain Gilad Pelion is played by Xander Berkeley. Uh, He's got 249 previous credits to his resume, including (laughs) Barbed Wire, Air Force One, and Terminator 2.
1: Character actor.
0: (laughs) If you don't remember his role in Terminator 2, he played the uh, stepfather, Todd.
1: Crazy, really? Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious.
0: Yeah. Uh, Next up, we have Commandant Brendel Hux, played by Brian Gleason. Uh, He has 43 acting credits, including Snow White, The Huntsman, Logan Lucky, and the Hellboy reboot. Uh, He also happens to be the brother of Domhnall Gleeson, who played (laughs) technically his son, General Hux, in the sequel trilogy. Call me Uncle Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Our only partially named Warlord Captain is played by Johnny Coyne, uh, and this marks his first major acting role. He's done some roles in some short films and whatnot, but he's hit the big time. Uh, Our next unnamed warlord is played by Jodie Long. She has 74 previous acting roles, including Shang-Chi, Splash, and Robocop 3. Oh, nice. Yeah, so she's been around for quite a while. Uh, The next unnamed warlord is played by Hemke Madeira. He's got 77 previous roles under his belt, including roles in Spider-Man Homecoming, uh, Rango, and the Showtime original Weeds. Unnamed Warlord number six is played by Marco Kahn. Uh, he's got 79 previous credits, including Iron Man, 10,000 BC, and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Crazy. Uh, Warlord number seven is played by Imelda Corcoran. Kork- mm-hmm. I my, I pronounced that right. Yeah, if mm-hmm. not, I'm sorry. Uh, she has 25 previous credits, including Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and CSI Vegas. And our last unnamed warlord is played by Ron Bakhtitla. He has 71 previous acting credits, but uh, also 60 previous additional crew credits. So he's working on both sides of the camera.
1: Nice, nice, nice. But he's probably best
0: known for his voice work on Call of Duty Vanguard as Carver Butcher.
1: Oh, crazy. Yeah. So Captain Peleon, could we talk about that for a second?
0: Yes, that's...
1: I mean, there's some Huxes there to talk about too, but man hey there's a guy. there we go good evening tjc what's up man uh so if you haven't read so we're all about the novels because we're really dipping into some legend stuff tonight i I guess actually the aftermath novels are canon but if you have not read the heir to the empire novels stop what you're doing right now and go read all three (laughs) novels don't go to work tomorrow don't (laughs) just read all three novels tonight consume pop some pills so, Gilead is Thrawn's left-hand man. I mean, uh, you know, if you've seen Rebels, obviously you know who he is. And he uh, was on the bridge of that Star Destroyer when they jumped with the Purgles. Hmm. So, so if he made it out. He's out. Yeah. At least, like, if I'm wrong, correct me, guys, if you know different, but I'm pretty sure he was on that Star Destroyer. When the purgles jump in the finale of Rebels, if you've never seen Rebels, I'm working my way through it.
0: Why are you watching our show?
1: <laughs> Amazing. Um, just re- really super cool. Uh to see that character. Um, like I said, I didn't think we'd see Thrawn. Uh, but, but we're so Thrawn adjacent, it's yeah. <laughs> if they show us rock, we're, all, we're. <laughs> I'm just gonna go crazy.
0: so uh Here we start off, and uh, Captain Pelion is telling them uh, they need to show no signs of strength. And uh, another member, the guy referred to only as Captain, notes that the hyperspace lanes are ripe for plunder. But Pelion admonishes him, stating that it's gathering too much attention. And another warlord cites that there are still people loyal on every planet in the galaxy to the Empire. But Hmm. Captain Pelion he insists that Grand Admiral Thrawn's return is imminent. And it will give time for Commandant Hux to deliver on Project Necromancer. Moff Gideon boldly questions when Thrawn will finally join them. And then poses that maybe they need to look to new leadership. And the warlords all seem to agree. Mm -hmm. But uh, Commandant Hux notes that Project Necromancer is in place just for that. And when the questions of where Dr. Pershing and his research were promised, or were as they were promised to Hux... Uh, Gideon relays that uh, he has now been captured by the New Republic, and his research is unavailable for now, which leads me to think that might be part of Elijah Kane's mission—the "For Now" piece.
1: Mm-hmm. It also it begs the question: like, why are these um, groups of people eternally bent on on uh, resurrecting the, the the leaders that would execute them on, scene? <laughs> like like <Yeah. laughs> Admiral Ozul. You know, uh, uh, why wouldn't you be like cloning yourself? True. Uh, I mean, I guess it's maybe a Sith thing where you can put that consciousness back inside the, the body specifically. Yeah. Um, but he's definitely, uh, if you played the, uh, the the Battlefront games, there's, there's some story about uh, Operation Cinder and things like that. Like, he actually sent droids programmed with his final message. Like, uh, you know, do this, yeah. go here. Do this exactly. Regroup here. Wait for Thrawn there. Like that sort of stuff. That yeah. So he was even after death controlling. Yeah. Um, pulling the strings, but it just makes you wonder why you like. You wouldn't, you know, if if, if Gideon feels he he's the most uh, competent the most, person there, yeah. like an army of himself. Yeah. You know, at work, I wouldn't clone anybody else but me because I'm more competent. than they
0: <laughs> But at the same time, if you knew how you were, would you comp or would you clone yourself knowing well, you, might, <laughs> yeah, you against might yourself?
1: Right. You might usurp yourself.
0: Yeah. Your clone could become too ambitious, but. Mm, that's a good point. Hux then tells Gideon that uh, he heard Pershing was being held on Navarro where Gideon was conducting his own cloning experiments. But Gideon shuts him down quickly, citing that an obsession with clones goes to Hux, not himself.
1: <laughs> so,
0: I guess sure. we're, we're ruling out that the stuff on Navarro had anything to do with cloning the Emperor.
1: <laughs> I see. Again, I I I know that there's a, a little funny rumor going around, but um, I I joked pretty heavily during the episode with the crone mm. that um, I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was the Emperor or 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 could have been mall or another you know a failed uh, experiment type you know and we even thought about grievous but um it makes so much more sense now in terms of um a few things like so if if we can pull from legends and say okay this is canon now this event is canon then we can also pull from things that George Lucas just said in interviews and True. make those things canon like yeah. when he said Darth maul was meant to be the big bad guy of the whole thing yeah that was always his intention and so even though we see kenobi kill him outright in a, like in a, in a noble sort of death yeah, at the end of rebels it'd be nothing for you know them to try to to bring resurrect that. him and so if they're always trying to resurrect their leader they're factioning up too so uh, there's a group trying to re- resurrect the emperor, but there's, maybe there's a group of Maul DeLoreans, like yeah, that, that faction of the Empire that was loyal to him, uh, mucking around trying to clone him, and it's there's a good chance that that's a failed clone of of Maul down in that uh, in the uh, in that pit, <laughs> the mines of Mandalore. It just makes more sense now seeing his helmet putting all those little pieces together. I was like, "Wow!" Well, I was only joking, but... But, but, <laughs> but wow. if you're going to
0: go that way. But uh, Gideon, then shifting attention away from himself, he notes that uh, they all have to scrape and claw for resources while they wait for the grand plan to take shape, while Hux and Pelion, they're amassing countless resources and equipment which should be shared. And Hux notes that they've already received Gideon's request for three Praetorian guards, reinforcements for the TIE Interceptor Squadron, and TIE Bombers... And Pelion asks what the concern is, but Gideon he plainly states Mandalorians, mm. and apparently none of them realized they were out there still because a gasp of shock comes over the whole council. Right, and
1: so, uh, so there's a thing because we've been thinking: are they are they are they cloning Snoke? Because this all leading up to them cloning Snoke, but we're we're nine years out uh, from give or take. That's yeah. our estimate, I guess nine years out from the battle of Yavin. Yeah. Uh, maybe five years now, four years out from the battle of Endor. And so Ben Solo is, is four years old and we know because of the novels and we know because of the comics that Snoke, um, Snoke was pushing his buttons as young as four or five. And I'm like, I never really thought about that till this moment well, that maybe Snoke's already out there. Yeah. Uh, in the wings somewhere
0: well especially if they've all like we find out that you know in the novel that they've already gone to the unknown regions and this is well past that
1: well past that
0: so what have they been doing out in like on exegol i guess technically
1: right right i mean that plan was in play if you read the comics the vader comic vader finds between empire and jedi he finds exegol nice and so that that plan has been in play a while i mean palpatine's still alive yeah uh there's also a, a a theory out there i read that that palpatine that we see in return of the jedi is actually a clone hmm. That he's been mucking that that there is no darth plagius hmm. that he he's been alive for thousands of years it's kind of cool
0: yeah but gideon he tells them that he's certain they plan to retake mandalore and with this information, glances are exchanged, and uh, Hux reluctantly agrees to send the reinforcements and guards. And Gideon gives a rousing speech about finally stamping out the Mandalorians, and concludes with, long live the Empire! And the whole Council echoes it. And, you know, it's pretty safe to say that Project Necromancer is probably what they were working on to lead towards the reborn Emperor, but like you say, chances are it's been going long before now.
1: Right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. That's. It's kind of like my thought. It's funny too that they're. I mean, it's. It's plot device, but that <laughs> they're not more worried about the New Republic than they are. Yeah. yeah. Mandalore becoming a thing, like like how one system, one of planet of warriors, haters could could, could could threaten your whole show when your yeah. your show is actually actually heavily threatened on all sides. Yeah. <laughs> It's but, funny, what, but it's Wes, plot. It's at the speed
0: of plot. Yeah. Uh, Wes has a thought here on Gideon's
2: misdirect. So I'm going to play mm. that now. Gideon, Gideon, Gideon. <laughs> you know, I love a good misdirect uh, when it's done cleverly. And if that wasn't exactly what we got with Moff Gideon, mm, it was so good. Gideon's interest in Grogu was never about bringing the Emperor back, and that just blew my mind. Turns out he's been in it for himself this whole time, and uh, building that army and uh, filling that uh, that seat of power left vacant after the demise of the Emperor. Now, if that doesn't set us up for a major confrontation between uh, Moth Gideon and Grad Emerald Thrawn, then I don't know what does. It's
0: true. Finally, we get our title card and our chapter name and uh, we open with an aerial view of Navarro and the locals, they're going about putting their stuff back together after the assault from the pirates. And then a large shadow starts to block out the sun and the locals all take notice. And the copper protocol droid, he rushes into Grief Karga's office, telling him that an Imperial ship is here. But Grief steps out on the balcony and tells the droid, it's not Imperial. It once was, but it's now under the command of the Mandalorians.
1: He even calls it a shuttle. Yeah. <laughs> a droid needs to be reprogrammed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Looking skyward, they see the bottom of the ship now adorned with a mythosaur skull. Wicked. Yeah. And we find the Mandalorian camp on the skirts of town. Uh, the fleet begins to land, and Bo-Katan hopes for the best, as the two factions have never met, and what they know of each other, they hate.
1: hmm on the ground din's got a cool line there. like if they want to survive they'd better get along (laughs) yeah and that that's literally the crux of the mandalorian problem like they never they could be like
0: unstoppable
1: yeah jedi level like tens of thousands throughout the galaxy policing you know you know what i mean they could be that uh except they're, they're their own worst enemy yeah
0: on the ground the covert gather around to meet the arriving force but Paz Vizsla instructs Ragnar to take the children inside. Uh, the two factions, they share a tense moment until the silence is broken by the armorer clanging her tools together, and she bids the new arrivals welcome and tells them make camp and they will prepare a feast. And the two groups then move about to going about their tasks. But Axe woves, he pauses a moment, eyeing Paz Vizsla, until Bo gives him a shot in the arm, saying, Get moving.
1: <laughs>
0: so... Just then, Grief Karga arrives and greets Mando with a forearm shake and then he commends Mando on the fleet and then he presents him with a celebratory bottle of liquor all nice. the way from Coruscant. Uh, in reality, though, it's a redeckled bottle of Sincoro Tequila Reposed.
1: <laughs>
0: so you can go out and get yourself a bottle of that if you want for 105 bucks.
1: Nice. And do your own <laughs> But
0: Mando gives thanks to him and tells him, you know, that's not all I have for you. And we cut to Grief Karga's office, and a rebuilt IG 11 walks through the door, being piloted by one of the Enzelans. And Mando asks, What's been done to IG 11? But Grief tells him, Now he's IG 12, and he's perfectly safe. Uh, they stripped him down to his base motor functions, and he's now more of a vehicle than a droid. And the Enzelan climbs out as Grogu starts walking towards it and uh, keeping it. A- keeping Grogu at a distance, the Anzellan again tells Grogu, bad baby, no squeezy.
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, Mando, he says, you know, Grogu's too little for it. But Grief insists, well, let's just see if he fits. Which of course he does. Course. And Mando notes that uh, the Anzellans do good work, but Grogu is too young to operate the heavy machinery. But uh, turns out their speech buttons and Grogu defiantly taps the no button. And uh, Grief, he postures that Grogu thinks he's old enough to run IG twelve. So does this count as his first words now?
1: I think maybe. I mean, I still think that his first words were that that really strange. The, yeah. Um, this is the way. Uh, this is the way. But this, all in one little f- uh, stroke, they completely uh, explain why we had to visit IG eleven in the in the first episode. True. And um, they they. <laughs> they give him the ability to speak at least at a base level. Yeah. And they give him the mobility. So all the people that are complaining that he's not fast uh, enough to keep up. Fast he's not aging. He's not growing bigger. He's not talking. They just they get it all done in the coolest way possible. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm I'm trying really hard not to cut the chest out of a, an IG eighty eight figure <laughs> to make this happen you wouldn't be there's, the first one i've seen there's a well cool, yeah there's a cool uh lego build a guy does a step-for-step lego out of like stuff you might have kicking around if you're a lego guy nice and uh, you can build a, a grogu and ig uh ig 12 armor fantastic and the the in town that like you know if you've got uh kids then you know the uh, yes, yep. yes 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 Know or when they learn another word that might be worse uh, and they do that in Walmart for (laughs) hours. Um, amazing! Like that, that's one probably one of my favorite moments of the whole um series because we've kind of gotten away from the fact that this is about a father and a son and that this is a nice reminder of that.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah. I laugh my my tail off for sure.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes.
1: And even better to Taika Waititi returns as the voice. So fantastic. Yeah.
0: Mando moves to pull Grogu out, but again, he taps that no button before starting to walk the droid away from Mando <laughs> grief. He's like, you know, let him try it around the office and Grogu then switches to the yes button. And he almost knocks over that, uh, the, uh, bust of grief Karga as yep. he around the room. But, uh, He repeatedly punches that yes button. Just yes, 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 yes. And Mando asks, yes, what? But Grogu just goes on happily hitting the button (laughs) and walking around. So good. Yeah. Later on, we find them walking down the street and Grogu is still hitting that yes button. And he (laughs) veers off and proceeds to pick up a box of treats, possibly Mantel Mix or maybe a Navarro version of it.
1: That's what I'm thinking.
0: But yeah, he just grabs it and starts chowing down. And uh, Mando, he takes notice and takes it away from him, paying the vendor for it, only to have Grogu snatch up a maileron. And in the most brat-like moment so far, Grogu holds the fruit out of reach while hitting the no button. No, no, no.
1: That's wicked.
0: But still getting the hang of it, he squeezes the fruit too hard, and it ends up squirting all over the tarson vendor. And again, Mando pays him, and Mando tells Grogu, this isn't working for me.
1: <laughs>
2: so good.
0: So, before we cut to nighttime at the Mandalorian camp, uh, West does have a thought on Grogu here.
2: You know, uh, with uh, Moff Gideon's uh, selfish interest in Grogu, I think that actually bodes well for the little green uh, munchkin that we all love, uh, because I don't actually think that he's going to get used or corrupted somehow in trying to bring back the Emperor. I actually think there's a good chance that that means we can see this character evolve and develop and maybe even come back in a future star Wars project like the new Jedi order film that was just announced uh, last weekend at star Wars celebration.
0: Maybe kill me, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, uh, two Navarro reptavians are being roasted above a fire as the two factions sit divided, eating their food. Uh, some people online had speculated maybe these were the uh, the flying reptile birds from the other planet, but when you zoom up on them and compare them to a reptavian from Navarro,
2: mm.
0: no, no contest. That's what it is.
1: Absolutely. Hope yeah, they're they're they everything.
0: Yeah. Plus, I can't see them going to all that trouble to capture the three babies just no. to you know
1: just to, eat them. Yeah.
0: Um, Bo Katan stands and addresses them all, and she notes that Mandalore is not cursed but the bombings have awakened some things that lie dormant. Mm. And though they can't get a reading because of all the interference, she proposes they move the fleet into position above Mandalore and send down a scout party to find the great forge and secure it. She then calls for volunteers from both tribes, but uh, most of them kind of like hang their head and avert their gaze. Of course though, Din Djarin rises and pledges to go along with Rogu and mm-hmm. Rogu rises and gives a uh, a little nod to Bo, and she gives him an approving nod back. Cosca Reeves then rises as well and pledges to go, followed by Axe Wolves. And- Bing!
1: Yep, I think it's pretty. I think it's yeah, when we get to there at the end, I think uh, I have a theory and it might jive with some of your theories there too. All righty, yeah,
0: a whole host more of uh, Mandalorians rise, and then finally the armorer steps forward, pledging to go as well, and uh lauren asks are they eating the baby birds no, no it's
1: no it's the other the other animals the ones it's that the try other to steal uh grief cargo yeah when the baby healed him do the magic hand thing baby
0: a <laughs> red swenson says and my bow, and my axe <laughs> yeah we're lord of the rings and tribing up here
1: forming the couple couple red shirts (laughs) you know (laughs) something's bad's gonna happen yeah nine people you've never seen before said i'll go
0: (laughs) now somebody did pose a question that one of the guys that stands up sounds an awful lot like ewan mcgregor Mm -hmm. is it possible he got another uncredited role maybe i
1: don't know that then there was the joke that if if that is uh if corky is his illegitimate child (laughs) Mm. Maybe it's Corky, but the, the, the one character the internet is calling Corky is quite young. Corky would be in his 40s here.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, he's hidden under a helmet.
1: So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The uh, next morning, the Mandalorian fleet lifts off from Navarro, and we catch up with them coming out of hyperspace over the stormy surface of Mandalore. And Wes has a point here.
2: You know, the one thing I laughed about this week um was how the mandalorian fleet uh, practically doubled in size since the last episode. I mean when we get to uh, Navarro, there's now like four Gozantes and like a dozen or more almiric uh, fighter transports. But then I watched the episode a second time and I couldn't help but notice that when they moved the fleet to orbit Mandalore, there's a number of missing ships. Now, maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's just a simple continuity error, but you have to ask is there something afoot here? Maybe. Maybe. My
0: question would be how many of those ships are actually hyperspace capable?
1: Yeah. Because we know know the
0: gauntlet is, we would assume like the big cruisers and whatnot, but.
1: I mean, they could have been on board too. And you could probably store a couple on a Gozanti. My thing was they probably picked up a few of the. You know, groups all along the way, yeah, like sort of like they're uh, ringing well, in the,
2: yeah, because if yeah. they had uh,
0: the main chunk of them on uh, the posh planet, who knows what other missions some like smaller groups were out on at the same time, right? Yeah, but uh, the moon of Concordia hovers in the distance, and Bocatan ship breaks away from the group en route to the planet's surface. Uh, in the cabin, along with Bo Grogu, sits in uh, IG twelve. And the armor sits patiently in the rear hold. The rest of the volunteers are all strapped in ready for deployment and diving through the stormy clouds. The turbulence shakes the ship and eventually they do break through the clouds and the surface of the planet becomes visible. Uh, the bottom bay doors open for the drop troopers to take in the site and pause Vizsla. He remarks how the devastation on the planet is worse than he thought, but Axe turns and tells him he was there when it happened. And standing at the front of the bay, Din Djarin surveys the volunteers before moving to the bridge and letting Bo know they're ready. She hits a switch and the Mandalorians all deploy. And free-falling until they're clear of the gauntlet, the Mandalorian awesome. drop team is such a great visual here. Oh, man. They, they fall towards the planet before igniting their jetpacks and landing in a closely knit formation and they scan the surrounding area for any signs of life, and Axe confirms it with his helmet visor, and they give the clear for the ship to land. Bo brings the gauntlet in for a landing, and on the uh, bridge, the crew depart. As Bo departs from the ship, she tells them that below, is where they're, or below where they're standing lies the ruins of the capital city, but she intends for them to scout on the surface and find the Great Forge, and once it's secured, they'll bring down the rest of the fleet, and with that, they move out.
1: Crazy. And they all land like Din Djarin doesn't. They all land expertly.
0: Yeah, they've had their training with the jetpack. <laughs> a short while later, we find our scout party, or scout party walking across the ruins of Mandalore and green spires of rock jut upwards from the ground. They walk two by two with Din and the armor at the back, and we just kind of start flashing forward here a bit to, you know, skip the Hobbit part where they're just walking and walking. hmm
1: mm-hmm.
0: So uh, a short while later, Din brings the party to a halt, noticing something on the horizon approaching. And it turns out it's a large land vessel equipped with multiple sails. Quick. Yeah. It's kind of like Waterworld-ish if they were on water, but...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead, they're on glass. Yeah. but
0: The scout party assumes a defensive position as the land boat slows down. And from the boat, someone calls out, Do you have food? And Bo responds that they do. And another from the boat calls, You wear the crest of the night owls. And Bo responds again, I should hope so. And the armorer is the first to notice that the people are on the boat are also Mandalorians. One calls out, Is that the voice of Lady Bo Katan Grease? And she replies, It is. And with that, three of the survivors jetpack off the boat, landing in front of the scouting party, and they remove their helmets raise a fist to their chest, and bow their heads in salute. Uh, The first crewman, he tells her that uh, they knew she would not forsake them. They have failed her, but their blasters remain in her service. And uh, our first crewman to speak here is played by Charles Baker, who you may know as Skinny Pete from the Breaking Bad franchise.
1: Did you catch the B-1 battle droid skull on his shoulder? I missed that. It's cool looking.
0: We cut to Nightfall aboard the uh, land vessel. All the Mandalorians surround a table and uh, up on the, de- the deck of the ship. And the survivor captain, played by Charles Parnell, who Wes would actually recognize as Admiral Solomon Warlock Bates from the recent Top Gun movie.
1: Nice. <laughs>
0: he tells the newcomers that... Uh, He tells them about the Imperial bombings and how they shot down any ship trying to leave. They took no prisoners and bombed the planet twice over. And his belief was that the Empire punished them as a warning to the rest of the galaxy because they refused to surrender. But Bo tells him that's not true. Casca shakes her head for a moment and tries to speak, but Bo motions for her to remain silent. And it turns out she did surrender. After their forces were annihilated on the Night of a Thousand Tears, defeat was imminent. And Bo met with Moff Gideon after an ISB agent reached out to negotiate a ceasefire. And in exchange for surrendering and disarming all remaining Mandalorian cities and people were to be spared.
1: Yeah. So Here's the, That's the part I was talking about where, so this fixes the end of the last episode. Yeah. Um, she, she never, didn't she lose never it lost she, she lost it illegitimately. Even yeah. if she got it illegitimately, the whole point is that everybody that followed her thought that she deserved to wield it yeah and you know prophecy or not uh she never lost it illegitimately this 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 should fix things for for everyone here
0: yeah because she handed it over in good faith for them to stop but uh, doug says uh how did the survivors not notice moff gideon
1: Well, there's that
0: yeah we'll get to that in a little bit um I, i have questions here myself but spies everywhere yep Uh, Though she didn't trust him, she felt like it was her only option to save her people, but in the end, Gideon betrayed her, and they were helpless to resist the purge of Mandalore. The surviving crewman, he asks, you know, how did the others survive? And the armorer tells him they were hidden on the moon of Concordia, and the survivor captain asks, are you Death Watch? But the armorer tells him, no, Death Watch is no more. Uh, It's shattered into warring factions and Bo interjects that all mandalorians have suffered because of division and squabbling mandalore has always been too powerful for any enemy to defeat and it has always been division that destroys them and the table remains silent as they take a moment to you know drink in what's just been revealed to them we cut to later that evening and bo katan stands on the bow of the ship silently and mando approaches her and confides that he had no idea He was taught that everyone but them had forsaken the way. That Bo-Katan was selfish and uncaring, but now he understands. But Bo tells him he's right. She was selfish, and that is what this has wrought. Mando steps in closer and postures that they'll rebuild it. For thousands of years, they've been on the verge of extinction, and for thousands of years, they've survived. Bo turns to face Mando and tells him that she doesn't know if she can keep everyone together. And all she has to do it is the dark saber to unite the people. But Mando tells her he only knows what she has taught him about the weapon. And in a, uh,
2: nailed it
0: moment. Uh, he tells her <laughs> that it means nothing to him or his people, nor yes. does station or bloodline.
1: Yes. I informed you thusly. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What means no, more? It's perfect. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, this is great.
0: It doubles down on them being the way of the mythosaur, not the Darksaber. But what means more to him is honor, loyalty, and character. And that is why he serves her. Her song is not yet written, and he will serve until it is. And when Din says this, uh, the look on Bo-Katan's face says it all.
2: Hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wes has a thought on this here, too. Hey guys, Wes again. You know, with the line from uh, Din Djarin telling Bo-Katan that her song is not yet written and uh, he will continue to serve her until it is, it's not lost on me that uh, he just went uh, full Jon Snow on her and uh, next season I fully expect a romantic uh, subplot.
1: Maybe. I hope not. Star Wars is way better without that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> it's all about hope it's it's yeah um it, i mean i shouldn't say it's all about that because there have been love stories that really worked Han and leia really worked well yeah um but they worked really well because they hated each other for the first <laughs> movie and a half so um i i can see it um but i i i unless it's A serious, there's like a reason for it. I I can also see it taking away from what's actually needs to happen.
0: Mm. But elsewhere on the ship, the survivor captain he tends to another injured survivor and the armorer retrieves some bandages to assist. Bo Katan comes down from the upper deck and uh, tells the armorer that they'll rest now and they'll continue at first light. The armorer agrees but thinks the injured should be taken to the gauntlet and ferried to the main ship. Bo agrees with this course of action. Uh, She then tells the captain that those well enough to accompany them for the search for the Great Forge can come. But the captain says they can do better. They can take them right to it. Uh, We got another one from Doug here. Uh, No, lone wolves don't need princesses. (laughs) We got one from Lauren, Hera, and Cannon. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: True, true at first light we see the survivor captain and he's walking down the deck and he cries out onward Mandalorians to the forge as the crew attend to the sails and rigging and they glide past the gauntlet, which takes off for the main fleet with its cargo full of injured survivors.
1: Mm -hmm. Curious. Yes. Curious that she would leave now. Curious. Considering how, uh,
0: enthusiastic she was about seeing the Great Forge.
1: Right, right. We're almost there. I'm going now. I'll
0: be back. (laughs) (laughs) But the ship glides across the glassy surface of the planet and on board uh, the various Mandalorians mingle. Paz Vizsla engages in a almost chess-like game with Axe Wolves and Paz makes a move that Axe disagrees with and then Axe accuses them uh, saying these primitives make up their own rules for everything.
1: Mm -hmm. but
0: uh fully offended Paz stands up and unsheathes his vibroblade and demands that uh, Axe either submit or fight and by now all eyes are on the pair and uh Axe turns to Casca and says can you believe this before activating his jetpack and launching a uh, well-placed knee right into the helmet of Paz Vizsla He knocks his uh, much larger opponent backwards and then pulls out his own vibroblade and the two circle slashing and punching. Din asks Bo if he should intervene, but she tells him neither side is allowed and the fight continues and it's Paz gaining the upper hand, but a furious Axe Wolves moves in for a lethal strike and Grogu in IG 12 grabs both of them, separating the two and he starts slapping that no speech button and this is enough the two men calm they put away their weapons and go their separate ways and Bo remarks to din that he has taught his apprentice well but he replies back he didn't learn that from me before giving a nod to grogu who returns the nod back so even with the speech button he's getting more communicatable. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: so high above land uh, The gauntlet finally emerges from the clouds and the armor radios to the fleet that she is inbound with survivors. And the fleet captain looks a little shocked at the notion of any survivors coming off the planet. Right. But uh, below, the landship skates across the landscape and one of the Mandalorian survivors monitoring it through quadnoculars, He notices there's movement in one of the mountain ranges up ahead and uh, he alerts the crew. The mountain starts to heave and rise, and all the Mandalorians take notice now, drawing or uh, donning their helmets. And soon, a monstrous creature covered in Trinitite rises out of the ground. The helmsman tries to veer the ship away, but uh, a large, spiky tail rises from the ground to strike at them. They call to abandon ship and uh, they scramble. And as at odds as they were a couple minutes ago, Paz and Axe are the ones that grab IG-12 and Jack (laughs) Grogu off to safety. Get him out of here. Yeah. The uh, tail strikes, causing a massive explosion and the destruction of the ship. And uh, some of the Mandalorians are knocked out of the air. And Wes has got a thought here.
2: I loved the Trinitite Kaiju monster with all of the glass shards sticking out of it. Absolutely loved it. I thought it was uh, terrifying. Um, and even if it wasn't, this monster is awesome because now we have something for the Mythosaur to chew on.
0: <laughs> True. A
1: realosaur. <laughs>
0: yeah. Landing nearby, the Mandalorians regroup and make for the cave as the ground shakes and rumbles. And inside, the survivor captain tells them that they're not too far away from the forge and they should go deeper underground, which they do. Again, he's the one that told him, go under. Uh, making the way further in, Din asks where they are, and Axe removes his helmet and tells him, this is what's left of the Great Forge, and how the fires went out with the bombings. Paz asks if they had lived there, and Costco responds, yes, they all did. But the survivor captain interjects that some never left, and uh, they survived by migrating along the surface until the war ended. Some tried to explore the underground, but none survived. So, uh, just then, uh, Mando, he notices the sound of oncoming jetpacks and asks questions more survivors. Mm. But, uh, no, it is uh, a bunch of white-armored jetpack troopers coming into view, and it is clear these are not Mandalorians. So, everybody dons their helmet and uh, takes position just as they begin taking fire. And uh, as blaster fire bounces off the Imperial troopers' armor, they quickly realize that all these troopers are wearing Beskar. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, realizing they're pinned down and outnumbered, Din yells that they need backup. And Axe, he offers to make a run for the fleet, but Bo tells him it's too risky.
1: Also but- curious. Yes. <laughs> Very curious. He flies, like, so they're picking them off, like, they're ducking and dodging and weaving, and these Imperials are actually hitting their targets.
0: Yeah, these are not your run of the mill storm troopers. And
1: yeah, they're doing very well. And he flies through a group of them and they don't shoot at him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lauren says they come in like Concord Dawn. That's very true. Yeah. But uh, it's Paz who notices that break in the ceiling and offers cover fire. And plan in place, Axe rockets upward as Paz takes out a handful of troopers. And. Another group of troopers advance on their position and open fire, and Bo and another trooper move to take uh, an injured Mandalorian to cover, but she ends up taking a shot in the chest, which staggers her, but she continues to return fire. Um, Another wave of troopers arrives, and they begin to flank the Mandalorians, uh, but one trooper gets caught around the throat with a wrist lasso and lets out a choking sound as he's dragged upward. So these are not droids. There is definitely a humanoid component inside that armor.
1: Heavy duty. Yeah. Yeah. I need this action figure so bad. (laughs) Wes has got a thought on these new jetpack troopers.
2: Hey guys, Wes here again about these new jetpack troopers, or at least their armor. Do we think that these guys are just an evolution of the troops that served under Gar Saxon? maybe
1: yeah like almost 100 percent. that's kind of what i was thinking um the the question i guess the the, the cooler question is um uh, yeah it's the upgrade i think i um i think the cooler question is what's under the helmet yeah and i think that's uh what we saw uh unable to get the the resolution in the uh, vats yeah but i think that the, he's uh definitely building his own. Filling yeah and the big question is who's under there that's super yeah. cool
0: so they continue to exchange fire and finally the troops start dwindling at uh, the constant fire of pauses heavy blaster and they start to make a retreat but Bo calls out for an advance and they begin to chase down the troopers through a newly constructed hallway and mando looks to grogu and tells him you've got to keep up now and grogu nods they pursue the troopers through a newly dug tunnel and another hallway, eventually coming to a set of blast doors. And as they emerge from those doors, they're met with an immense underground base Crazy. with uh, multiple alcoves dug into the rocks, hosting multiple tie interceptors. And suddenly behind them, the blast doors, they entered through slam shut and another set slams shut in front of them, sealing most of the group inside while Din Djarin and a couple others are left outside that hangar
1: remember episode one, I was like, hmm, it's curious that they didn't leave a contingent behind when they did this. Because, you know, in the real world, when a conquering military leaves, they generally leave a presence behind, if not a base. And then in episode two, I was like, huh, where did all those Imperials suddenly just come from? Come from, yeah. Uh, Nailed it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. (laughs) Yep but calling out ambush another wave of jetpack troopers descend and open fire taking out two of the exposed mandalorians so by red shirts
1: mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> Din though he
0: uses his flamethrower to keep them at bay as uh, his companions help or watch helplessly through the blast proof glass and one of the troopers manages to lasso din's flamethrower arm but he persists and more lassos are launched around and they ensnare din around the neck and his other hand finally subduing him they force him to his knees
1: do the magic hand thing baby <laughs>
0: yeah come on Let's bro on. it works through the glass but with din down a dark trooper lands and uh stomps on the platform and he calls to disarm him in a booming voice and we pan from floor upwards on this new floor wearing a black and maroon spiked mandalorian style helmet mm-hmm the dark trooper strides forward as Din is stripped of his weapons and jetpack. And we hear mechanical workings as the figure moves. And the trooper removes his helmet, revealing that it is Moff Gideon underneath. He begins thanking them for gathering all the Mandalorians into one place and tells them that they were a talented people, but their time has passed. And he offers them like a twisted notion of comfort that Mandalore will live on in Gideon.
1: Hmm.
0: Thanks to the planet's resources, Gideon has created the next generation dark trooper suit forged from Beskar alloy. And the most impressive mm. improvement is that in it is him.
1: There's a there's a good distinction. We got into this, in, I think, last season, too, that there is an inferior version of Beskar. Yeah, that, something that's, that's been
0: an, cut down with something else. That's
1: exactly what an alloy is, is the, is the raw material cut with something else. So yeah. now we... That's <laughs> yeah.
0: off. Is he is the upgrade,
1: maybe? But the best car is inferior, so yeah. he, he looks cool. I need this action figure too, <laughs> yeah. real bad. And those horns, man. So, yeah, are they horns or are they just like points for a crown? I they feel horny to me. <laughs> they consider it, the, yes. The scheme, the color scheme, I the it, everything is like, yeah, coalescing here with the especially knowing that uh like we had gotten into a couple episodes ago um you know maul is technically still the you know on some subtext that maul is still technically the leader of of mandalore so there could be loyal to him loyal to him loyal to their faction of the empire trying to you know like this i don't i know there's some cool cool crazy stuff going on here so yeah but uh,
0: Gideon, he continues on that all societies bring something, the cloners, the Jedi, and even the Mandalorians. And by aggregating the best of each, he intends to create an army that will bring order to the galaxy. Mm-hmm. And then suggests that since they have the element of surprise, it's time to take the Mandalorian fleet off the board. And he gives the order to launch the TIE interceptors and bombers. And a bunch of commandos rush to their ships as the alarm clacks and starts ringing. Mm-hmm. The tie is ready for launch and all but assured of his victory. Boff Gideon tells the trapped Mandalorians that in a few moments, the purge of Mandalore will be complete. He then instructs the jet troopers to take Din to the debriefing room.
1: <laughs>
0: and Bo calls out that she should have killed him when she had the chance. So that's questionable there for me. Like a debriefing room.
1: Are they going to take his underwear off? I yeah. Don't know. I mean, could is Bo. De- is his Dinger and the spy?
0: Yeah, like that's you know your mission's over. Go receive your exit strategy.
1: It's weird that he didn't kill him outright. But then there's a theory going around the internet that he's the only one who knows where Luke Skywalker is. Mm. And if if Moff Gideon thinks that he knows that information, that, a, beat it. That's a powerful that. target to, to to nip in the bud. Mm-hmm. Especially if he's feeling auspicious.
0: Yeah. Gideon turns to her with a wide grin on his face and tells her that we have to stop meeting like this, but Bo returns. She'll make sure of it. He then proceeds to tell her that this is the part where she returns the dark saber to its rightful owner. And then she can tell her people that Mandalore belongs to him. Bo nods to Paz Vizsla who tells her this is the way. Hmm. And then the Mandalorians open fire on the blast door as Bo rushes to the back of the room lighting the dark saber and proceeding to carve an exit into the rear blast door.
1: So I thought a couple things about this scene were weird to me. Um I think she's cutting the hole in the wrong direction. <laughs> Maybe she's got the dark saber and all the best fighters are, are there. Um, I, f- I feel like she should be cutting the hole towards them. Hmm. Especially when we see positive isla pretty much,
0: Guess I pretty much
1: even the odds and then be overwhelmed for sure but so it, i it's a strange decision to run instead of to move into combat when i guess into combat is why they came here yeah
0: but at the same time like not knowing how wide and how deep this facility is right
1: mm-hmm.
0: and knowing what he's how long he's had to build it Technically, it might be the right idea to go the other way and go get the rest of your guys.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a 50-50 call. Yeah. i I roll the dice the other way if I'm that character, but maybe (laughs) i die. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. But Gideon, he calls for the door to be open and tells the
0: troopers to kill them as he dons his helmet and then he flies away. So, you know, he's retreating too.
1: Yeah, that's classic arch-villain stuff. Yeah combat is beneath me even though i'm (laughs) jacked out for combat finish them off i'll
0: be in my room
1: right in the debriefing room
0: (laughs) (laughs) but wes has a thought here on gideon's new suit so i'll play that
2: hey guys wes again now i've been saying for quite some time that i think that moff gideon might actually be a mandalorian himself And while that's still undetermined, there's no denying that this new dark trooper suit that he's come up with is heavily, heavily inspired by the common uh, design aesthetic uh, in Mandalorian armor. But at the same time, it's still very, very imperial uh, because of that undersuit. That undersuit, that, that padded undersuit is so much like Vader's undersuit that it's this like Kind of Frankenstein <laughs> melding of the two design uh, aesthetics, which I really love. But there's another small detail that I love even more, and that if you had to hear, you had to listen for it—the sound of the servo motors moving the limbs every time Gideon moved. To me, it sounded almost exactly the same uh, sound effect that they used in uh, RoboCop to make RoboCop move, and to me, that is. So cool.
1: Yeah. Off. <laughs> it certainly augmented that you know that way. Oh. A punch from him now would be you know
0: uh, packing z- a whole lot more. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. But, and I mean, like you can almost see a place where he's going to wield the sword wearing that versus. Yeah. Somebody not wearing that. So <laughs>
0: yeah. The question of when he was wielding the sword was he having trouble, and is this upgrade enough now that, you know it shouldn't affect him anymore.
1: Oh, I mean it's very possible, but he certainly looks cool.
0: Yes, he does. But as the door slides upwards, the jet troopers are met with a barrage of fire coming from the mandalorians and Bo finishes her cut and kicks out the metal door calling for the mandalorians to move out. But Paz Vizsla, he continues to unload on the troopers calling for them to fall back and he'll cover the rear with everyone through the hole, but uh, Bo and Paz, she calls for him to retreat as they won't leave without him but wave after wave of commando come in or and continue to land and pause slams a control panel, sealing the front blast door, telling her go, there's too many
1: second Both. silly sort of thing going on. So if we are going out the back door, he just roll goes, under. <laughs> yeah, hit
0: that thing and roll under.
1: Uh, Off you yeah. Go. Like you're not buying them that much more time by dying. No, except now they have all the time in the world and you're not there with your heavy gun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't know, and then it you know it, it does beg the question. I I said it in the chat. What happens to a foundling when their uh, sponsor dies?
0: Yeah, yeah. But here, Bow cries out, "No!" and Paz says, "This is the way." Before turning and blasting down trooper after trooper, Bow watches helplessly as Paz takes on the entire force himself before turning and retreating through the hole. Pause continues to fire as the body count rises, the triple barrels of his weapon start glowing hot.
1: Oh, so cool.
0: And he just continues to fire and fire until the entire cannon starts smoking and ceases to work. And then he detaches it and uses it as a club to strike down yet another trooper. <laughs> and moving into hand-to-hand combat, he takes out several more troopers until he finds himself alone, finally, on the platform, having thrown the last two off the edge. Which... Kind of felt weird because they are jetpack troopers, but. Mm -hmm. Pausing for a moment to catch his breath, though, uh, the moment is short lived as from behind him out of the smoke, a red clad figure comes out of the darkness. And as we shift angles, we see it's actually three Praetorian guards. So pause activates his energy shield and uh, draws his vibro blade, but he's quickly outmaneuvered, receiving strikes from all sides. And uh, a weak spot in his armor is eventually pierced, and he grabs the guard by the throat, but another one takes him out at the knee, bringing him down, while a third guard strikes in a vulnerable spot near his neck. Out of energy, the uh, guard bats his hand away and Paz falls motionless on the floor. Smoke rises from the back of Paz Vizsla as the three guards walk away. Uh, we cut to black, and it appears we just witnessed the death of Paz Vizsla
1: crazy. Also the uh, another set of leaked concept drawings proved to be true with the uh, the, uh, the I guess they're calling them right. They're not pulling any punches. The Praetorian guard, which is what they were called. You know, the Snokes uh, Praetorian. Guard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they look awesome. I mean, yeah, it's sort of the natural. They have that hybrid. They have that um, legends Mandalorian helmet look. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then they're like sort of the natural evolution of the, uh, Imperial Royal guard.
0: Yeah. Now, some people pointed out this week that they had issue that, uh, you know, the dark saber couldn't pierce Beskar, but these purple glow sticks can.
1: <laughs> they, they seem <laughs> but, to be like hitting them in the soft end. Yeah. The, they're in, definitely like, going for
0: spots path. where it's not Beskar covered.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So like I can, and he does. See. I mean, he, he's going toe to toe with them for a minute, but they, uh, they yeah. overwhelm him for sure. Yeah. I mean, considering and it's funny it's been that they a while now. Yeah. 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 And um, you got to are these the same Praetorian guard that eventually uh, get cut to ribbons by Kylo Ren and uh, maybe and Ray Ray, Ray uh, S Word? <laughs> <laughs> Palpatine.
2: That's right.
0: Uh, Wes does have a question here, though. Mm. So I will play that now.
2: So with the apparent death of uh, Paz Vizla, there's a question of what's going to happen to Ragnar. Now that is if the show even bothers to address it. Um, but if they do, uh, I have a couple of ideas where uh, he might end up. So first off, uh, and this one presumes that the armorer is actually not one of the spies referred to in this week's title, I think she makes a great uh, candidate uh, to adopt him. Just considering how much we associate her character with, with Paz. I mean, they both survived the destruction of the covert back on Navarro. Uh, We find just the two of them living in the sub, the, the sub levels of the ring world. Uh, And I just associate those two together. Now, part of me actually hopes that if they do address this, that is the way they go. Uh, Because like I said before, I do love a good misdirect. Um, And having the armor adopt Ragnar would mean that her character has been written as a sort of double bluff. And she's not actually the snake laying in wait that we've always thought she might be. Which works even better if the armor does in fact turn out to be uh, a reformed uh, rook cast. Here's another idea, though. A couple weeks ago, I asked if we actually thought that Din Djarin and, and Paz Vizla have uh, buried the hatchet. And I think we can say now with some real sincerity that, yeah, they they really did. Um, so what if Din Djarin adopts him out of respect for his father? Not saying that'll happen, but I, I don't think you can rule that out. Also, speaking of sort of the symbolic gestures, just on that note alone, I won't rule out. Now, this is a this is a like a I'm swinging wide here. I won't rule out the idea of axe woves adopting Ragnar, especially after what we saw uh, in the the chess game per se and the fight that ensued. We're talking about this sort of uh, symbolic gestures and the idea that both tribes are sort of turning towards the middle to find this middle ground. Would that not make a great gesture to have one of the, the, the Mandalorians, uh, the native Mandalorians adopt one of the uh, foundlings from the children of the watch to help uh, as a symbol of unity and, uh, and coming together. I think that could be pretty cool. Well, lastly, there is the proverb. uh, The old proverb takes, uh, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think that that actually just kind of fits in with how the Children of the Watch have been living already. So, if I had to to guess, uh, if the show does in fact choose to address what happens to Ragnar, uh, it might not be the coolest option, but that's probably how they're going to do it. A couple of good I agree. ideas there.
1: In the end, I agree. Uh, I wish Wes was here so that I could argue about the Axe Wolves thing with him. Um, <laughs> He's the bad guy, man. He's, he's the other spy. I'm convinced of it. Um, I'm not convinced that the armor is not still a bad guy. Um, I mean, the bad guys could be more interconnected than we know. Yeah. Um, especially when I've been re watching the show, and especially when you consider um, the, when, the, when we find the armor after the covert is destroyed, she's mysteriously not, uh, not harmed in any way. She doesn't say that the Empire did this. She just says this was the result of the Empire being here. She doesn't say the words the Empire destroyed, killed all these Mandalorians I'm sitting on a pile of. She could have been sitting on a pile of loot. Mm. Um, she's had magic water the whole time. True. Uh, and if she's not in league with Moff Gideon, I mean, that's an easy way to get the magic water. Um, he's got a uh, an army full of people that are outfitted in Beskar armor and she's an armorer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, there are so many different things that point to her being the bad guy. So if it is a misdirect, it's a big one. Uh, but they they have been subverting things. I tend to think in terms of what Wes was talking about though, that it probably will be the uh, the village that raises the child in terms of that. That's yeah. probably what happens. Yeah. Uh, Historically, when they when they lose a, a member, because they they lose members left, right, and center, True.
0: Yeah. So just who is the spy in this episode? Mm. Is it really on the nose that it's just TK2755, Eliya Kane? Because mm. she is literally embedded in the new republic, feeding info to Moff Gideon. Mm-hmm. And perhaps part of her mission involves either retrieving or eliminating Dr. Pershing. Mm-hmm. Or is there something far more sinister? Uh, our next unaccounted, like you say, the Armorer. Mm-hmm. She did get herself off planet before the ambush with a bunch of injured survivors. Yep. Uh, were her intentions as pure as they seem on the surface? Especially considering that Moff Gideon is launching his fleet to take out that Mandalorian fleet.
1: There's a bunch of pointies there. Yep. <laughs> There's a bunch of pointies.
0: Could it be Axe Wolves? He left to go for reinforcements. But is he really going to jetpack into space?
1: I, I mean, like, there's no there's, ship
0: on planet to get him off.
1: There's no reason to do. leave then other to save your own skin, or unless you're in on what's about to happen. Because yeah, he knows you can't communicate outside. But maybe yeah. he knows where the back door to the base is. Uh, he's the bet for my. Uh, the 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 title of the show is Spies, plural. Yes. <laughs> so we know it's not just. It's not just a sixty-eight. Came. Uh, I think that all the night owls are complicit in what's happening actually. And I don't, you know, maybe not the average, maybe not that quirky guy that <laughs> the quirky looking guy, <laughs> but, but I, I, think, you know, they've, they, they've got his, uh, his cruiser. It's easy to contact him. It's easy to um, it's a very, it seems like it's very in line for a, a guy who would go mercenary. Yeah. Um, Cause we know he's
0: got unresolved issues with Bo-Katan taking back his fleet
1: absolutely and And,
0: we've seen him you know go toe-to-toe with Paz Vizla.
1: and if he's sold a different story and here's the important part about him being the the other spy if he's sold a different story and that's the uh, that's the actual defeat of Bo Katan by moff gideon then he follows the darksaber yeah and he follows moff gideon who could be because what we're getting is that certain point of view situation yes where it doesn't matter if you win the fucking the friggin' sword sorry (laughs) kids (laughs) it doesn't matter if you win the sword through combat or through a gift or through anything after all it only means what it means to the people that follow it and because i think that's an important distinction i think that's an important distinction that if if that 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 tribe if you will because they call it a tribe yeah if that whole tribe thinks that gideon is still the rightful hoarder holder of the sword no matter who possesses it they're going to follow him yeah
0: yeah because that's the other thing if if it is him acting alone would he really betray casca and the rest of
1: them from his tribe uh i mean I mean, it's hard to say, but we've seen Mandalorians do that before. Unfortunately, we, we've definitely yeah. seen Gar Saxon uh, go mental. We've seen uh, uh, it was another Saxon, actually. It was uh, like his grandson or something.
0: Doug makes a good point here. Why would Moff not take back his cruiser? Uh,
1: look I what just, he has! It's <laughs> <he gets laughs> full look, of Mandalorians. <laughs> maybe he's actually maybe he's delivering it to him now. <laughs> maybe.
0: Maybe there's another uh, closer to Mandalore itself uh, theory here because let's face it, as Doug said, you don't survive on a planet for almost 20 years without noticing the comings and goings of something as large as the construction of a gigantic empirical base. Plus, there's that line he gave in there when they arrived at the Great Forge, how many went exploring, but none returned. Mm -hmm. So just how did he know the location of the great forge if nobody ever came back to say hey it's down there
1: no it's true yeah and the other thing is that like moff gideon doesn't bat an eye when he finds out that dinjarin doesn't have the sword anymore no nope. that boat has it doesn't even bat an eye like yeah. he already knows
0: yeah yeah so was he told is the question
1: right? by who and so my money's still on on uh on number three because i i i he could have given them all that information just from the from the ship from a private quarters.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Especially if it's still registered as a as an Imperial ship. Yeah, it would still have all the time channels. Or... Everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Paint it all you like,
1: but oh, it's so good. We're building to a head, man. Holy yeah, cow. Man. Holy cow. So uh Wes
0: has some final thoughts on uh this one going forward.
2: So I'll play that now. guys this episode was freaking amazing as far as i'm concerned i absolutely love this one more than any other episode this season um but yeah man there's a lot of things going on and uh, i got some questions about how we're gonna tie this whole thing up we've got one member of each faction we've got axe and we've got the armor who are kind of in the wind Maybe uh you know doing the same thing uh they one uh one or both maybe none of them are the spies maybe possibly no i don't know there's so much tension around that i just don't know what's gonna happen is she gonna betray everything and take off with half the fleet is he gonna do the same i just don't know one thing i do know we're gonna need another rescue and i kind of think that that we might get that in this last episode because last weekend at, at uh, star Wars celebration in London and Rick family, he said that the finale, not only would it tie up this season of the Mandalorian, it would also uh, wrap up the book of Boba Fett. And I think that means that we get uh, another episode chock full of returning characters, namely Boba Fett, Fennec Shand and Marshall Cobb Vanth. I think they're going to come back, but I don't think that they're going to stop, uh, stop at that because as I have sort of suggested before, I believe that this uh, show, this episode of the Mandalorian or sorry, the, the next episode of the Mandalorian will serve as the backdoor pilot for Ahsoka. And I think our boy uh, Carson tava you know, even though he's been hamstrung by the leadership, He's a pretty motivated guy, and I don't think he's going to sit on his laurels and uh, let what's going on uh, over at Mandalore go unnoticed. And I do think that at at the very least that he and his squad, uh, which is also chock full of director uh, cameos, will show up, including Zeb. Now, if you're going to go that far and have the squadron show up with Zeb, is it that much more to have Hera and chopper come back as well to serve as that jump off point for our next live action show ahsoka man i don't know uh but no matter what they do i cannot wait to see it uh but i'll have to wait until i get back from my vacation bye for now everybody
1: and We were complaining about three being too many guest stars. (laughs) And in the chat, I joked Jude Law, Daisy Ridley, and the ghost of Carrie Fisher too. Yeah. I don't know if that, I, I think that you will see Carson Tava. I think you'll see the three directors. Um, And I think you'll see maybe a new Republic fleet actually, because that wasn't just him uh, obeying disobeying rules. He was on a routine patrol and he was in communication with the New Republic about what he found. They found Baskar. They I found bet the that ship they, without Moff Gideon. I bet, I bet a small Rebel fleet, uh, New Republic fleet shows up to do some damage. Boba Fett and Fennec Shan are uh, a possibility. Just even if it's inside the cockpit of the Slave One, trading barbs back and forth while there's a space flight. Um, I mean, it's possible that <laughs> we could get absolutely every character we ever wanted in a in a finale but like being comic book fans you and i both know that there's sometimes uh there's too much of a good thing especially yeah. when they're trying to um i think that maybe that uh without meaning to that Femi you m- maybe mis- misdirected us because yeah when he said they're wrapping up the the, the book of boba fett too it might have been the parts of the mandalorian that appeared in in that yeah in, in sort of that that being like that little bubble within that show
0: yeah uh doug says luke too <laughs>
1: yeah well that's the joke maybe that's the joke. um I, I i did see a thing with mark hamill where he was reacting live reacting to the celebration announcement of daisy ridley being the one to move the uh the the uh, franchise forward and he did this fake, oh, no, it's the end of Luke Skywalker. My character is locked in forever. Whatever will I do? And so you can never discount uh, CG and nope. uh, his willingness to let them do that and just be a voice actor. Yeah. And uh, so you can never you can never uh, discount a, a green lightsaber going against three Praetorian guards.
0: Probably work out pretty good. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, so I guess uh, we got one more to go. And it's not too far off. Oh so,
1: man, uh, <laughs> it's crazy. I just I've been wishing weeks away. <laughs> I just need there to be Wednesdays.
0: Yep. Any more thoughts on uh, that as we go forward?
1: Uh, I think we're going to get some uh, some cool stuff. I think you will get a few guest stars. I think uh, they might cliffhanger it up. It might it might bleed into a, a launch for for the Ahsoka thing I don't think we're gonna get see Thrawn I doubt that highly maybe no, probably not too. the last image of the episode maybe but uh or yeah I mean, maybe a
0: post-credit scene
1: I mean now we got the opposite of of, of basically episode uh, season two where we have Din Djarin is you know and Grogu's on the other side of that so the way Din Djarin rallies to save you know yeah. we're gonna get we're gonna get Grogu pretty pretty serious about wielding the force here Yeah. And, uh, and I probably, I, I, I imagine we're going to admit a sword ride. It's a possibility.
0: Well, they are wandering around down in those tunnels now. So,
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah,
0: but so I think that's it for me. Amen. So, uh, (laughs) everybody, thank you for joining us this evening. And, uh, we'll be back on Tuesday with another episode of random fandom featuring a special guest or two. Nice. and uh don't forget to like and subscribe and you know mm-hmm. check out the merch store there's lots of great designs there
1: all that stuff is down uh, there yeah check us out check us out turn our me, patreon poor eric is by himself guys
0: he's getting lonely there
1: <laughs> Give him some company but
0: we'll be back here next sunday to pour over the exciting conclusion of the third season of the mandalorian with our breakdown the fandalorian
1: crazy so, crazy uh, crazy
0: until then i'm andy
1: and i'm hank Bye for now. This is the way. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms.